Inhale, cool, crisp air through your nose. Hold your breath. Keep holding. And exhale, warm, tense air through your mouth. You just activated your vagus nerve. Welcome to the Soto Health and Wellness Podcast. We are the Soto Brothers. I am Samuel Soto, a doctor of physical therapy. And I am Dr. Joseph Soto, physician. Together, we are board-certified medical providers who specialize in internal medicine and physical therapy. Our mission here on this podcast is to promote longevity, health span, and wellness in order to prevent illness and injury so we can optimize the human experience. But just a disclaimer before we start our first episode. Any information on diseases and treatments available at this channel is intended for general guidance only and must never be considered a substitute for advice provided by a doctor or other qualified healthcare professional. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare professional with questions you may have regarding your medical condition. So we finally made it on the podcast, the Soda Brothers. Yeah, something finally. we talked about for a long time, something we wanted to do for a long time, because we both uh, have a lot of similar viewpoints on medicine and health and wellness. So today we're going to talk about a little bit about who we are, what we do, and uh, the whole purpose of our podcast. So without further ado, I want to introduce uh, Dr. Joseph Soto, physician of internal medicine who practices here in New York. So Joseph, um, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into medicine. Yeah, so, you know, it's a, it's a pleasure to start this podcast. Finally, we've been talking about this for a while. It's finally happening. I think our audience is really going to benefit from this podcast. We're going to talk about a lot of things on this podcast. Um, so where do I start? Basically, as, as you mentioned, I'm a board-certified internal medicine physician here in New York. Uh, my journey really began when I was a child, pretty much, as you know. Um, you know, I would say at age 12, that's when I really decided I wanted to be a physician, believe it or not. Um, I know it sounds crazy, but I actually knew that at age 12. And it basically started with uh, a pediatrician I had who actually called me fat. She said I, I was fat this. when I was 12. You remember that, right? Yeah, I remember her. I was in the same I was in the room when I heard I heard her say that to you. Yeah, she was this uh Cuban pediatrician who honestly didn't really care about her delivery or anything. She would just say what her, whatever's on her mind. Poor and, bedside manner. Yeah, we'll talk about that too in this podcast, oh, yeah. but she basically called me fat and that was when I realized like, "Oh, wait, I am fat." And, you know, that's really when I started getting interested in medicine and what it meant to be healthy. So that's the very beginning of my journey in, in medicine. And obviously in high school, all I did was medicine, medicine, medicine. Um, college, I went to Stony Brook University out in Long Island, New York. Biology major, majored in biology and developmental genetics. I did research with stem cells. That was also a very important time for me. And then I was accepted into six medical schools actually. And I decided to enroll in Albert Einstein College of Medicine in the Bronx. And the story really began there. Um, I kind of knew I wanted to do internal medicine even before starting medical school. But that's really when I decided that I wanted to do internal medicine. And as we'll get into, you know, I just got deeper and deeper and deeper into internal medicine, what it means to be healthy, what it means to what is your role as a healthcare provider in delivering health. And it just intensified even more during residency when I really started to see how health impacts people. So that's kind of my baseline journey. Uh, what about you? 
Yeah, so I remember one of my earliest uh, memories as a as a young teenager was being in our room, in our in our family home, and um, we had a little whiteboard, and you know other other kids, you know, typically, you know, obviously we did play sports and you know we did other things, but one of the things that we did as as uh, teenagers was we worked on case studies, and we loved shows like House, um, you know, medical shows like that, and we would we would go online. And look up symptoms and look up uh, case studies and we would draw it out on the whiteboard and put like lab values and put down symptoms you know a patient is a 55 year old male presents to the clinic with x y and z symptoms and we would sit there and try to figure it out as a, as if it was like a puzzle and you know we were always very curious in terms of finding out you know what is the diagnosis what is the cause of this problem and that's kind of how it started for me, you know, just seeing Joseph um, be so dedicated in terms of medicine and figuring out, you know, what the root cause of the problem is. That's kind of how my journey started. I'm going to um, say one thing before you continue. We, we actually, as kids, you would think that we were playing video games. We actually weren't doing that. What we were doing is we would go on Google and I would challenge him and ask him. I would give him basically a, a clinical like pearl and I would ask him, what's the diagnosis? That, that That's where our, that's what our games were when we were kids. Yeah. So, I did play video nerds, games, but... though. My, my road was a little different than yours. I wasn't always as uh, certain in terms of what I wanted to do. Uh, Joseph, I think from like age, I think four years old, he already said he wanted to be a doctor. Meanwhile, other kids were saying, I want to be a firefighter. I want to be a pilot. I want to be the next Michael Phelps or whatever it is. He, he was like, I want to be a doctor at like five years old. Yeah, we me, have witnesses for that. We have yeah. many witnesses. Yeah. <laughs> for me, I kind of went down a, a, a different path. Um, in and out of different interests in terms of what I wanted to do in terms of a career. So, you know, we were both always into music also. That's something that that we both enjoy doing, playing the trumpet. Um, I play the guitar now, which we'll also get into in further podcasts in terms of like, you know, hobbies and how that's important in terms of wellness. But mm -hmm. for me, I first started out wanting to be a musician, um, you know, going to school, playing the trumpet, being in, in a jazz band, being in concert band. I wanted to be uh, a trumpet player, maybe for like the New York Philharmonic or something. And my parents told me, no, don't do that. You can't do that because, you know, it's not a stable job and you're not going to make good money. And, you know, you should mm -hmm. follow the footsteps of something that your brother's doing. But I never wanted to be a medical doctor like Joseph. You know, I always wanted to do something a little more like with my hands, a little less, um, a little bit more holistic. So I wanted to be a journalist at one point. I wanted to be a chef. Um, I was always into the arts and then I found the field of physical therapy, which to me is a form of art because it allows me to be creative, use my hands, use my brain, use my body, use my senses, use my communication skills and create my own techniques to help patients recover from their injuries. So there was one point where I was volunteering at an ambulance station doing dispatching and I wanted to be a physician assistant. So I thought that those hours would count as direct hours for physician assistant school. Then I, I found a job in a physical therapy clinic at 18 years old. And after working there for countless hours, somebody there told me that those hours do not count as direct patient care hours for physician assistant school. So I was devastated. I was like, what am I going to do? I just, I guess at the time I thought I wasted all my time getting these hours and now I can't even apply for PA school. But then at that point, I realized, you know what? I actually like physical therapy. I like working with patients. And there was one patient in particular which made me realize 
that I wanted to be a physical therapist. He was an 11 year old boy with Duchenne muscular dystrophy, which is a genetic condition. It's very, very uh, severe condition deteriorating. And his mom would drop him off the clinic, leave. And this boy didn't even speak English, was scared, didn't know what was going on. And he didn't want to work with anybody else in the clinic, even the physical therapist there. And me, I'm just an aide helping out with exercises. So it got to the point where I'm like, you know what, let me see if I can help this kid. I spoke Spanish with him. I found a common interest, which was soccer, because I saw he was wearing a Real Madrid shirt. And mm. I started to do abdominal crunches with him, you know, exercises. And I noticed that he was uh, really receptive to my energy and to my, to my exercises. And that's when I realized I want to be a physical therapist. So I went to school at Hunter College for psychology and I minored in biology. And then I ended up applying for physical therapy school and attended Dominican College of Blavet up in Rockland County, which is a three year and three month program and got my doctorate of physical therapy. And I've been practicing in New York for about a year now. That's great. So basically, uh, as you guys can probably tell, we had different paths to medicine. My path was more of a traditional direct path. For some reason, I knew at age 12 that I wanted to be a physician. I have no idea how I knew that, but it, it happened. Was it 12 and or was it five? 12 oh not not, right. not that young but 12 12 i mean 12 I that's so, you so young i could have sworn you left the womb thinking you want to be a doctor <laughs> probably but it seems like your path is a, is a little bit different but we still reach the same goal and it doesn't really matter how you get there that's the moral of the story exactly so let, let's let's move forward yep um let's each talk about what we're interested in in terms of our particular practices i can go first yep so as I told you guys, um, I'm an internal medicine board certified physician. Um, I have extensive training in, in internal medicine. What that means for the, the listener who doesn't know much about medicine, we're basically the detectives. So we have to figure out what's causing things using blood work, imaging, history and physical exam, um, family history, you name it. Uh, we're, like the, we're basically like the, the house episodes that you watch on TV. Um, but not only in my internal medicine, but I also, um, and we'll talk about this further. I also focus a lot on preventative medicine and also obesity medicine. Those are basically my two niches in internal medicine. And we'll talk more about that as, as, uh, we move forward in this podcast. All right. How about you, Sam? Yeah. So, uh, some of my specific interests in clinical practice, well, I have a lot of interest, um, but some of the things I love to treat are um well number one is a sacroiliac joint the sacroiliac joint is a joint between the sacrum which is the bottom part of your spine right above the cossacks which is your tailbone and the ilium which is part of your pelvis and i've always been drawn to complex things and i'm very detail oriented so the si joint or the sacroiliac joint is one of the most complex joints in the body and it is often misdiagnosed by physicians, even physical therapists, by orthopedic surgeons. Um, so I think really diving deep into the research on the sacroiliac joint and, and diagnosing it correctly can help patients who are experiencing back pain immensely, especially the patients who have gone through failed treatments, whether conservative or uh, surgical with injections or even medications. So I really enjoy treating that joint and I see it a lot in my practice. Um, I treat mostly geriatric patients and middle-aged folks. So I do see a lot of sacroiliac joint dysfunctions that are misdiagnosed. 
aside from that, um, I also enjoy treating chronic pain, fibromyalgia, things like irritable bowel syndrome, and altered pain processing. So what, what altered pain processing is, and we're going to do a whole episode on this. Um, yep. Talking we're about, definitely going to delve deep into all these topics, guys. Don't worry. Yeah, especially we're going to have a, spe a, a specific episode on pain processing and chronic pain. Um, and a technique called associative awareness technique, which is a technique that I do that I perform on patients who have chronic pain, especially uh, specifically fibromyalgia, um, non organic pain, anxiety, things like OCD, um, you know, things like that. Other things that I like to treat are Parkinson's disease. Um, I am specialized in Parkinson's disease treatment, which is called LSVT stands for Lee Silverman voice treatment which is a movement-based exercise program, very intensive program to help treat that movement disorder, which is Parkinson's. And I also like to treat um, holistically using something called Aster, which I'm going to talk a little bit about later on, advanced soft tissue release, which addresses the patient's biopsychosocial needs. So addressing stress, addressing posture, addressing, um, you know, uh, pain, addressing various components of their health. Okay. Yeah. So those are just the, those, some of the things that we do. We obviously do a lot more than this. These are just broad um, topics, but you know, some, some things that we do. So now so, I want to ask you something mm -hmm. here, Joseph. Yeah. Um, how, how did you get involved in treating holistically? You know, I, a lot of people understand, you know, a lot of people hear the words MD and they know the difference between MD and DO. But can you explain the differences between MD, DO, uh, osteopath, like um, functional medicine, doctor, holistic? Can you explain that and, and yeah. how, how you treat holistically now? Yeah. So basically, let me let me just back up. So basically, any a physician has to go to medical school for four years, mandatory. And there's basically two types of medical schools. There's there are allopathic, which is MD, and then there's osteopathic, which is DO. Essentially, both of them have the exact same curriculum. This, you learn the same things. You learn organ systems. Uh, they're always they're divided by organ system, disease process. The only difference between DO and MD is that DOs they do get a little bit more training in what's called OMT. Uh, it's called manipulative medicine, where they learn certain techniques um, in terms of how to treat you know musculoskeletal pain. But ninety nine point nine percent they're identical. So if you guys see MD DO just for the purposes of a physician, they're exactly the same. Um, okay. Other than that, I mean, there are other, um, then once you're an MD, you can, you have to pick a, a residency. So you go to a four years medical school, then you have to pick a specialization. I chose internal medicine. Um, you can choose, derma, you could choose dermatology. You can choose psychiatry. There's surgery. Um, you name it. There's, there's, all these different types of board certifications. And then you can subspecialize after that. So you could become cardiologist, a gastroenterologist, a rheumatologist. Um, there, it, it goes on and on the list. So that, that's basically the framework of, of medicine. What about like uh, f functional medicine? You know, when oh, people yeah. here, especially now with COVID and the pandemic and all these alternative, yeah. alternative so medicine. Let's, let's delve into that a little bit um, because, you know, it, this, it's, it's, it's a little confusing for the for the person who doesn't know about medicine. They're actually there even is for me. I'm a physical therapist, I, I, and I'm confused. You know. Yeah. So there actually isn't a board certification for functional medicine. So functional medicine is is 
is it, it's basically it's it's um it's basically a certification that you can get you know being a physician any any physician can become functional medicine even a psychiatrist uh orthopedic surgeon it's not considered that there's no residency that says you're functional medicine it's more like a way of treating patients um and then when you ask about holistic that really depends on the physician i know a lot of physicians who don't practice holistically and that's not necessarily a bad thing but some patients don't like that some a lot of patients i found they do want of a, a physician who is more holistic because it avoids uh, medications, it avoids surgeries, it avoids interventions. And we'll talk more about is holistic better? Yes or no? It depends. It depends who you ask. Uh, I myself, I, I consider myself a holistic doctor. Again, I'm board certified internist. So I have all the training that any physician in the world would have. And But I do practice more holistically. I am a little more um hesitant to prescribe things and that that's just my preference doesn't mean it's right or wrong there's there's no there's not a textbook that says you have to do this way or this way it's whatever you the the way you that you practice but we'll get more into what that means later on so in terms of uh nutritional training right with all those different fields that are not fields are like more like specialties that you mentioned are, are there is there a specific uh field that they learn more nutrition no zero so as a as a physician in this country i can't speak for other countries around the world we basically get zero hours of nutrition in medical school you heard wow. me right guys That's zero crazy. We, we, we we do not get any training in nutrition okay so if you find a physician that actually knows about nutrition consider yourself lucky because that physician i can tell you with 100% certainty, they not receive any nutritional training. That's mind-boggling. Yeah, it is. It is mind-boggling, and, and and as you'll see, it, it's uh, it's horrible. It's not it's not a good thing. And I really had to learn all this on my own. To be honest with you, I had to learn, you know, nutrition. You know, myself seeing what was working for me, and also what was what, what I was seeing with my own eyes during my training. And I guess we could talk about that now. Yeah, I mean, um, I think we can talk about some of our influences and, uh, you know, people who have motivated us along our journey in terms of nutrition and promoting that holistic approach to, to treating patients. You know, for me, obviously, um, I think uh, right now it's uh, kind of out there in terms of the carnivore diet. It's something that we've been hearing a lot about. Um, we've been hearing a lot about it on podcasts, on Instagram, social media. You know, names like Paul Saladino, um, people like Dr. Ken Berry. Sean Baker. Um, yeah. We've been hearing a lot of these uh, people uh, talk about which diet and which, you know, what uh, foods are harmful for us, what foods are healthy for us, what's the most optimal diet. Uh, but for me, for me, uh, the main motivation to treat holistically and kind of how I got started with this as a physical therapist. Uh, well, number one is. In physical therapy school, we actually do get trained in nutrition. We take, mm. we take, we took one class called health and wellness or health promotion and wellness, which is amazing because that's, you know, what we're going to talk about in our podcast. And uh, we take cl classes in exercise physiology and we take classes in cardio palm, which talks a lot about diet and nutrition. So I do, I do have some training in nutrition, but I was actually fortunate enough my second year of physical therapy school at Dominican College, uh, 
to submit an essay and win a scholarship for ASTR, which is uh, Advanced Soft Tissue Release. And I won their scholarship. Um, and I was very fortunate to, to win it because the creator of Aster, his name is Dr. Joseph Jacobs. He's also a graduate of Dominican College. And he created this holistic treatment approach. And uh, I won the scholarship. He sent me all the tools. He sent me all the resources. And I got certified in the course. And uh, his story is actually really quite captivating. So Dr. Joseph Jacobs, while he was in school, he unfortunately got cancer. Um, he got cancer multiple times. It kept coming back. And he realized that he had a lot of physical ailments, mental ailments, and uh, traditional medicine could not help him. And he took matters into his own hands through nutrition, through the biopsychosocial model, through really understanding wound healing, through really understanding how what we eat affects our body and affects our healing. And that was really eye-opening to me that a physical therapist can know so much about nutrition and stress and overall well-being. So I really wanted to be like that, you know, and I wanted to uh, to finish the course. And, and I got to meet with him online and and uh, got certified through him. And he's got a really good TED Talk online, if you look him up, Dr. Joseph Jacobs. And uh, that's kind of how I started with that. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. We, we, in medical school, we, we get zero training on nutrition. And I want to, I would challenge any physician to tell me otherwise. There's, there's, it's not in the curriculum. What we get trained in, uh, we do get a lot of training, obviously. Um, obviously, we are experts in organ system, disease processes, treatments, but medical school is basically a pharmacological. So we, we learn, we learn diseases, but we learn what is the drug that was going to treat that disease. We don't really get at the root cause. That's something that you have to basically learn on your own once you're done with training. Or even for me, it started in residency. So like I told you guys, it, for me, the, the, first, the first moment I realized that nutrition was important was in my fourth year of medical school. When I, I came back from Spain, the trip that I took with my parents and also my brother to Spain, um, I realized that everyone in Spain was healthy. And there was nobody was overweight and everybody was well, you can't say everybody. vibrant. You can't say nobody most, was overweight. Most people, majority of people, when you were outside, were not overweight. Just visibly, just looking at them. They right. looked healthy, vibrant. And Perfect. I was yeah. asking myself, why, why? Why is this happening? Why is it in America that everyone's a lot of most people are obese? Again, guys, in America, there's a problem. There's yeah. a, almost a 50%. The number is 50% of obesity right now. Obesity is defined as a BMI greater than 30. It's almost 50%, meaning one in two people in America right now is obese. Wow. Think, think, let that sink in for, for a second. There's 300 million people in, the, in America, meaning 150 million are obese. We have a problem. It's a big problem. So you, I realized when I was... Go ahead. No, I'm going to say, what, what do you think is the, the main cause? Of yeah, that? so oh. I'll get to that. Basically, so I came back from that trip and myself, I wasn't... I'll be honest, I wasn't the healthiest even at that time. Uh, I was already 26, 27, going on 27. And I really wasn't eating the right way. I was not exercising consistently, um, you know, taking things for granted. And that's when I paused and I said, wait a second. I had gained 30 pounds during medical school. I said, this, this can't continue. This has, this has to stop now because if this doesn't stop now. That as I got older, I'm going to, I'm going to get worse. So that's when I, 
the journey for me with nutrition started when I started reading about what is nutrition, you know, how does it influence longevity? I started reading books, listening to podcasts. I changed the way I ate. Uh, I immediately eliminated all processed foods. That was the first thing I did. Um, I started adopting a consistent workout schedule. I lost like 20 pounds during this time. And I really started focusing on this with my patients, uh, practicing in the Bronx, New York. I don't know if you, if you guys have hardly heard of the Bronx. Uh, it's one of the most underserved areas of the country. And it has one of the highest rates of obesity. And, you know, when I did my family medicine rotation in the Bronx, we were in one of the worst areas in terms of uh, medical services. And almost everybody was obese, diabetic. They were getting amputations. I mean, the list went on and on. One of the worst things that you can see I was experiencing as a medical student. And the, the, what I saw that was constant was that everybody was eating poorly. You would see people eating McDonald's in the waiting area, drinking kids, drinking Coca-Cola. And I was like, what, what is going on here? Why, why, why are people in, in this place eating so poorly? And, you know, it has to, we, we can get more into this, but it has to, lots to do with socioeconomic, uh, being poor, being in food deserts, all that contributes as well, especially in the Bronx. Um, but that's the beginning of my journey was really that first fourth year of medical school, right, right before I started my, my residency. And um, in residency, it got even worse. That's when I, obviously, I was a, a, a physician, a uh, newly, newly minted physician in, in Long Island. And uh, that's when I really started seeing patients and treating them and prescribing things and actually being, being a physician. And it just got worse and worse and worse. And I realized that we were doing, what we were doing was just putting Band-Aids on things. We were just, band we were just, there were wounds Masking and we were the just pain, bandaging. Yeah. Right? Masking the pain, like uh, not, not treating the root cause of the issue. Exactly. And again, yeah. I'm not I'm not here saying that traditional medicine is a bad thing. It's obviously not a bad thing and it has a lot of importance and it's done amazing things for, for, for society. But we cannot continue, you know, as providers treating patients by by just the numbers and what and what you know, you have to really think about patients as a whole. They're they're human beings and they have different different categories, you know, spiritual, yeah, physical on and on and we'll go into this stuff at a you know at a later episode but um we have we have to start implementing holistic approach to medicine um you know what we we cannot keep compartmentalizing medicine into oh we're gonna send this patient to this person and then that person send patients get frustrated with that and uh that's kind of the goal of our podcast too to raise awareness of um if you're a medical provider, you should you should be able to treat a patient as a whole. I, I don't care if you're a cardiologist. I don't care if you're a psychiatrist. You you can do it. There's no excuse. You can learn on your own. Take the time to learn about that. But yeah. I don't want to get too much into that right now because we, we do have a lot to cover in this episode. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes from a professor in physical therapy school is um, treat the patient as a whole. W-H-O-L-E. Not as a whole. H-O-L-E. Not as a, a whole, that's good. but as a that's whole. A good one. And, you know, a similarity with in my experience with physical therapy is, you know, we get a patient who comes in with knee pain. You mm -hmm. know, the, the, the old approach was, oh, it's the knee. Let me treat the knee. Let me only treat the knee. I'm going to dive deep into the knee. I'm going to treat the knee. That's it. But now it's, you know, it's more of a, there's something in physical therapy called regional interdependence, how different regions around the body affect each other, like a domino effect. A lot of times mm -hmm. knee problems 
you know, knee osteoarthritis, compression, injuries, meniscal tears, um, whatever you want. Baker says hamstring strain, anything in the knee, you know, starts from hip issues. It starts from ankle dysfunctions. It starts mm -hmm. from stiffness in other areas of your body. It could be even coming from your, your mid back or your, your low back, your lumbar spine. And over time, our body has these compensations. And then we move and we get injured because that, that patient or that person did not have a, the, the right movement patterns throughout the whole kinetic chain, the whole body. So that's another example of, you know, treat the patient as a whole. You know, it could be that because they're overweight, they're, you know, they're going to have more compression on their knee joint. Are you addressing mm -hmm. that as a provider or are you just looking at the knee? That's yep. kind of my approach to, to that. And this is, this is the reason why I appreciate physical therapy, the field, because it's, it really is a field that integrates everything guys. It's a, it's a field that it's not just like, you know, he was mentioning just not, it's not just your knee. It's the knee that it's probably coming from somewhere else, whether it's your hip, your back, so, something's causing that knee pain. So, you know, yeah. it is a field that really tries to incorporate everything and they yeah. really do treat patients as a whole. And I think medicine should copy more of that. Yeah. Okay. And, um, I think another important thing to mention here is that, you know, when, when, when I'm treating patients, I'm, uh, I'm telling them that, you know, well, I'm going to address multiple components of their health. You know, I give them that off the bat, you know, so they understand I'm here to help them. I'm not here to just put a bandaid over them. I'm going to explain exactly what's going on. I'm going to do patient education. I'm going to address nutrition. I'm going to address stress management. I'm going to address all these components when it comes to uh, their wellness. So just moving forward here in terms of wellness, right? So wellness is the sense that one is living in a manner that permits the experience of consistent balanced growth in the physical, spiritual, emotional, intellectual, social, and psychological dimensions of human existence. So when it comes to wellness, there's different dimensions of wellness. And uh, I want to touch upon a few of these here in terms of how, you know, how, how uh, this is a holistic approach. So some of the dimensions of wellness are emotional. Uh, which is the possession of a secure sense of self-identity. So what are some questions that we can ask our patients and clients during the evaluation? We can ask the patient or we can see if the patient, are, are they self-aware? Are they self-confident and secure? Or do they use a lot of negative self-talk? Do they say things like, I'm never going to get better. You know, I'm always going to have back pain. I'm always going to be obese. You know, I, I can't, I can't lose weight. You know, these are the things that we're picking up upon. Another is um, intellectual, so which is the perception that one is internally energized by the appropriate amount of intellectually stimulating activity. So is the patient or client actually interested in their pathology and what's going on? Are they interested in their disease? Do they want to understand why they are sick? Do they want to understand how they can get better? Or do they just want the pill and they want to go home? And Joe, I'm sure you've seen that, right, from patients. Oh, yes. They don't care about... I don't care yeah. about what's causing this. I just want to get better. Give me the pill and I want to go home. Right? Yeah. So let's just, let's just pause here and, and uh, delve into this a little bit. So I see that as you were mentioning, there's different dimensions of wellness. There's emotional, intellectual, physical. Um, oftentimes when uh, someone comes to see me, we're basically just addressing the physical. And uh, that's actually not a good thing because as, as we just discussed, you know, the person is, 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 a uh, human being is uh, multifaceted. It's not just one thing like, oh, my knee hurts or my back hurts. You, you really have to ask appropriate questions to figure out why that's happening. Um, so, yeah, as an attending physician, uh, this has happened to me multiple times in the past year where patient would come in and 
it's not always their fault, but because of the medical system that we're in, they would just expect me to give them a pill and send them home. And whenever I would press them and say, hey, the reason why your knee pain is happening is because you're overweight or you're not exercising, they would immediately be like, whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't come in for that. I just, I, I thought you were just mm-hmm. going to give me a pill and send me home. Yeah. So a lot of patients, you know, they are taken aback when I, you know, kind of get deeper into the root cause of that knee pain. And I, most of them do appreciate that, uh, I have to say, but some are very small percentages. They really just want to be in and out. So I think yeah. that's a, a, worth, a point worth mentioning that most people do appreciate that when you ask those additional questions. And uh, guys, you really want to have a provider who's guiding you through, 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 this, through these processes. You want someone, whether it's a PT, physician, a dentist, you want someone to be your basically your health coach, someone that will be with you, help you throughout this process and guide you. You don't want someone to just tell you what to do either. It's not yeah. a good thing. It's been pr- disproven to work in medicine. It doesn't work. You can't just tell someone to do something. You have to, to share decision-making. Um, you know, the days of paternal, paternal medicine are, are over. It doesn't work. So you really have to try to incorporate that in your, in your practice. All right? So that's very yeah. important. Yeah, and I'll, despite the fact that I am trained in manual therapy, which is, you know, using my hands, doing mobilization, soft tissue techniques, uh, manual resistance, things like that, to help patients get better and recover from their injuries, like musculoskeletal injuries, um, I do have, uh, I do, I do address all these other other needs that are very important. So I do want to talk a little bit about the last uh, two dimensions of wellness. Uh, the, f- the first one being social, and which is a perception that family or friends are available in times of need, and the perception that one is a valued support provider. So things you want to look at are: Does the patient or client have family and friends to provide support? Does the patient or client provide support to others? So during the evaluation, you know, these are things that we want to figure out. Does the patient live by themselves? Does the patient have friends or family that can help them? I mean, my goal as a physical therapist is to get patients independent, right? But at the same time, do they have people that can help them along their journey? Or are they living by themselves, which can lead to social isolation, depression, anxiety, which can make Mm -hmm. their rehab process much harder. And the other dimension of wellness is spiritual which is a positive sense of meaning and purpose in life. So does the patient or client have goals and ambitions beyond himself or herself? And uh, is the patient or client involved in a church or religion or some kind of service, um, maybe volunteer? So I really want to get into this the spiritual part here because it's not something that many people talk about, whether it's taboo, whether it's for any reason. I want to focus on this part here because having a strong sense of purpose in life I think is so important when it comes to longevity. And Joe and I have been doing a lot of, uh, you know, reading and research on the blue zones, which are regions across the world where people, where they have uh, a high rate of centenarians, which are individuals who live a hundred years or more. So Mm -hmm. some of the regions are Ikaria, Greece, Nicoya, Costa Rica, Okinawa, Japan, Loma Linda, California, and uh, I think there's one more in there that I missed. Um, uh, oh, in Italy, in Northern Italy. We Sar- have uh, Sardinia. 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 So, you know, research by Dan Buhner, you know, National Geographic, uh, I think over a decade ago, basically this um, Dan Buhner went across the world and went on these expeditions to see these regions and, you know, to see how they live, what they eat, 
what they practice, what they do. And uh, he, he picked these regions of the world. And one thing that I've noticed in terms of the similarities between all these regions with, when it comes to living a long life is that a lot of these regions have a strong sense of purpose in life. So they, they, these people who live, you know, over 100 years old, they wake up in the morning and they know why they're waking up. You know, it, it's it, this is deeper than just being, you know, having an illness or disease. This is about having a purpose. Like, what is your purpose? Why do you want to get better? If someone comes into your clinic, Joe, with uh, with an illness or obesity, why do they want to lose weight? Is it for themselves or is it because they have a wedding in three months for their grand your grandchildren, right? We need to find their purpose. What's their motivation? And if we find out a patient or client's motivation, we can help them get to their goal much better, right? Mm-hmm. So one thing in Okinawa, Japan, that uh, I really like is something called Ikigai. And Ikigai is a Japanese concept that means your reason for being. So Iki in Japanese means life and Gai means or describes value or worth. So it's it's your everyday life purpose or your bliss. It's what inspires you. Um, it's what gets you out of bed every day. And uh, I think, you know, figuring out our clients and patients purpose is something that can actually help them live a longer life. Mm-hmm. Well, I have to say, um, <clears throat> as a physician, this is probably the least addressed element. Um, you know, I'll say this, the, 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 the problem, the problem with, with current medicine, the way that we practice medicine and I'm not here saying that all physicians do this because I do know some, a lot of physicians do, do practice holistically and they try to find out where their patients are coming from. But a lot of physicians, uh, when you go see them, they really don't address any of these things. And I'll take this opportunity to, to, to answer that question. The number, the number one reason is really because physicians don't have time. You know, the average, the average physician in this country is seeing four patients an hour. That's 15 minutes per patient. And they're seeing 30, 40 patients per day. So you can't, you can't expect that physician to be asking all these questions because they don't have the time. Right. So what I'm saying is, you know, a lot of this is, is not the physician's fault. It's really, it's the system that they're under. The current medical system is, is really built for failure. You know, it does have great things. The medical system does have does have great things in terms of life saving surgeries, life saving procedures, medications. But when it comes to daily, day to day things, basic things, most physicians they don't they don't take the time to 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 ask these questions. And I, I I'll say this in all my training, I've never seen that. I've may I've may have seen one one provider go into the spiritual um, uh, dimension. But for the most part, I have I haven't seen that, yeah. and uh, it's really a shame because that's uh, as you were mentioning, that's really important. If we if we're trying to fix someone's problem, we we need to understand where they're coming from, who their family is, you know, who 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 do they depend on, you know, it's all about context. And unfortunately, the the way that medical system is arranged in this country is it's just not good. It's not good, guys. We need yeah. more time for patients, and we that's why. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why we're here. We, you know, we're trying to we're trying to advocate for for people for uh, for the next generations. Yeah. We want people to live well, and that's why we're doing this podcast. We really want to promote uh, health and wellness. And uh, yeah. I, I think I think that's why I love being a physical therapist, and that's why I chose this field. And you know, going on interviews uh, for physical therapy programs, you know, for the admissions process. A common question they would ask me was. 
why do you want to be a physical therapist and why not a medical doctor? Why do you want to be a physical therapist and not a physician assistant? Why do you want to be a physical therapist and not an occupational therapist? And I think my answer almost always was the amount of time I get to spend with patients is so much greater than a medical doctor. And I'm actually able to address the, all of their needs or most of their needs throughout the week. You know, as a physical therapist, you know, as you said, you know, you see four patients an hour. I see two patients an hour. Um, some clinics see one patient an hour. It, it depends on the clinic, obviously, but I see two patients an hour. So I get 30 minutes with them. And guess what? I see them twice a week, sometimes three times a week. That's a lot of, that's a, that's, that's a good amount of time you're spending mm -hmm. with patients, especially when you see them for three months. You yep. know, some of our referrals are for 12 weeks. Um, you know, that, that adds up and you really get to, to, to know these patients and you, and you build a, a therapeutic relationship with them and you get to address all these uh, dimensions of wellness. But so I, I get what you're saying about the time, but so how do we solve this problem? Do we need more doctors? You know, is there a shortage of doctors or what's, what's the issue? How, how can we solve this problem? Well, the answer is all of the above. So we, yeah, we do need more doctors. Um, currently there's a huge uh, physician shortage in, in the, in the U S particularly primary care physicians. Um, you know, there's multiple reasons for that. There, there aren't enough, uh, residency spots there. They're not, the government is not expanding the number of medical schools. Um, people are hesitant to enter medicine because a, it's very long, very long road to become a full attending physician. It's very expensive, uh, tuition for medical school and college. The average medical student graduates with a debt of $250,000. Okay. That's basically a house mortgage by the time you're done with high school, uh, with medical school. Jesus. So when you take all those factors into play, that's the reason why there aren't enough physicians in the country. And the other problem is that most people specialize when they, when they finish residency training. So that creates more problems mm -hmm. because as we'll get into in this podcast, what we really need to focus on is preventative medicine. Okay, that's that's the overall theme of the of this podcast. What we want to do is prevent things from happening. It's been yeah. shown that when you can prevent something, not only are you gonna save more lives, but you're also gonna lower the costs, and then in turn, that's gonna make that's gonna allow the government not to spend so much money. Currently, the 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 U.S. government spends about twenty percent of the, of the GDP in healthcare. That's wow. trillions of dollars, more than any other modern country in the world and yeah. yet we have one of the worst health outcomes of, of, of in the modern world okay we we we're we pale in comparison to europe certain countries in asia this is all public information guys i'm not making this up you guys can go online and look up you know rates of obesity diabetes health outcomes in every single category and we're dead last so obviously there's a problem in this country and hopefully with this podcast we can shed light on those things but yeah, to answer to go back to the original question is it's a combination of that. There's there's not enough doctors. Most people choose to specialize. Why do they choose to specialize? Because specialists make more money. And when you're graduating with two hundred fifty thousand dollars in debt, what what field are you going to choose? The one that's paying you less or more? It's pretty obvious. The one that's paying more. So that that's yeah. that's it's very basic. It's the 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 reasoning. And um, you know when you're in medical training everything is geared toward geared towards specialization. Nobody, nobody really encourages primary care. Um, you know, it's not seen as the, the attractive field. Everything is, Oh, you're going to specialize and keep going and keep going and keep going. And that, that's really the problem with, with modern medicine is that we have all these tools, but we're, we're not really using them correctly and patients get frustrated. 
patients, they just want to see a provider who who, can, who knows them, who understands them, who has the time to see them at any time. Yep. And you need time. You need at least 30 minutes to see a patient. You can't be seeing a patient in two minutes. You know what's crazy? Um, there's, a, there's a statistic. You know, they did a studies on this. You can correct me if I'm wrong with the time, but I think the average time it takes for a physician to interrupt a patient during the evaluation is 10 seconds. It may yep. be seven seconds. That's, something that's like that. It's crazy. Like yep. you start talking, you know, they, they say, you know, what brings you in today? How can I help you? You start talking and they cut you off right away and they take over and forget about it. They take over and that, that's just kind of how it goes, you know, and I've had my bad experiences with, with, with doctors. I'm sure we all have, you yeah, know, I remember exactly. uh, when I was in physical therapy school, um, I was taking one of the hardest classes, which was cardiopulmonary, Car cardiopulmonary, uh, very, very stressful class. You know, I was feeling the stress. I was actually getting chest pains and pains down my left arm. So I went to a physician, I went to a, an internal medicine doctor and, uh, I was sitting there. He came into the room, didn't even say like, you know, Hey, how are you? How are you doing? Uh, but it was just kind of like, how can I help you today? You know? Mm -hmm. And I was just like, you know, I'm having, uh, these symptoms, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, he, you know, he listened to my heart. And, uh, we sat down and he said, yeah, you may have a mitral valve uh, problem because, and, um, mm. and he's like, because I you're remember very that. tall, because you're I very tall, that. you know, mm -hmm. and he didn't know I was a, you know, a student physical therapist and I knew about this stuff. So then I go, how can you base off, how can you talk, how can you base all the diagnosis just by listening to my heart? And you didn't even listen to my mitral valve. You know, you didn't even listen to that side of my heart. You didn't do any of the further testing and I'm not even that tall. I don't, I don't have Marfans. I don't have any of these, you know, other factors. I have no, you know what I mean? So it just made no sense to me. It just made me more nervous. Did he address the fact that I was taking a, a very stressful class and that made me causing my symptoms? Did he ask me how much water I'm drinking a day? Because I wasn't drinking no water because I was sitting in a basement for 13 hours a day studying, being stressed out and being in, in, in school. And that was actually the cause of my symptoms. And once I was done with the class, you know, and started taking care of myself, those symptoms went away. And I had another cardiologist listen to my heart and everything was normal. Everything was fine. So it's it just the, that interaction, the bedside manner, which we spoke about earlier, you know, we, we want to be better. We got to do better. There's a, there's a lot of problems, you know, in, in the medical paradigm. And, you know, we're here to, to really shed light on those problems, offer some possible solutions. We're going to be doing debates, guys. We're going to be having guest lectures, not guest lectures, or guest speakers come onto our podcast. We're going to be interviewing them. We're going to talk about things like uh, stress, anxiety, chronic pain low back pain. We're going to be talking about even dentistry. Um, we're going to have, uh, you know, people of all different kinds of fields come in and talk and, mm -hmm. uh, it's going to be very informative guys. This is going to be a, a jam packed podcast. And, uh, yeah, just another classic example of what you guys just heard there, uh, of a physician who really didn't ask him any questions, didn't de delve deeper into the issue. What could be causing this in a young male? Um, you know, quick, quickly jump, jumps to a conclusion that makes no sense. Let's be honest. You can't diagnose that without an echocardiogram. Um, you know, but anyway, that, that's just an example of, uh, I don't mean to interrupt, and, but there was, there was one more, one more thing I didn't mention that was like the most like mind boggling thing was when I asked him like, you know, how, how did you, how did you come up with that? He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I've been doing this for like 30 years. I've been doing this for a very long time. He actually yeah. got angry at me for me asking him how he came up with the diagnosis. As if and that's I was the like, problem. Come on. It's crazy. And, 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 and that is the problem with medicine, guys, is that the fact that you have a lot of these physicians who mean well, but 
the the moment that you challenge them even a little bit, they get defensive, and it's it's just it's just proof that you know a they weren't they weren't taught how to respond to to, to patients. Like patients have questions, they're human beings. They read online, they, they Google everything. You know, you you really have to be ready to answer these questions in a professional manner. You know, you you can't you can't be you know you can't just say oh I'm I'm a specialist in this and do and do as I say. This is paternalistic medicine. We we need to avoid that. Um, a better way of approaching that would have been, you know, although I know you have these concerns, this is what I think this is going to be. This is the next step. Something something that person can understand where they're coming from and not just jump to, oh, I'm the expert here. And unfortunately, a lot of physicians do that and, and patients don't like that. Um, so guys, you really need to have a physician who is able to listen to you, back what they're saying with evidence, and don't take that as an answer. Don't You don't want to be seeing a physician who just says, well, I know everything. And if you don't like this, then, then I'll see you later. You need to avoid that. Um, and that's a big problem with medicine. Yeah. So, so uh, yeah. So what other things do you think we're going to be talking about in further, further podcasts? So our basic framework here with this podcast is we're really a podcast who is going to be focusing on preventative medicine uh, through the lens of a physical therapist and a medical doctor. Uh, I think we took we took about, I would say, an hour to describe what our backgrounds are, uh, where we're coming from. And, and now I think we're going to talk about what we're going to talk moving forward. So as I said, we're really focused on prevent- prevention. Um, and there's a whole host of categories in, in, in that one thing. We're going to talk about obesity. We're going to talk about how to prevent obesity, nutrition, sleep, exercise, mm-hmm. physical therapy different techniques we're going to have guest speakers this is this is going to be a packed packed podcast and hopefully we can release content uh very uh regularly yeah yeah so again so thank you guys uh for listening tuning in to uh the soto health and wellness podcast episode one we uh hope to see you on the next episode and uh hope you guys have a great day take care take care